Hey Moonies, welcome to the Sailor Moon Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria L. Johnson, and I'm here with Sarah Raleigh, author of several young adult fantasy novels, including the best-selling Effigy series and the forthcoming Bones of Ruin. If you're listening to this on Moonie Monday, when the episode comes out, uh, the book comes out tomorrow, and if you're listening to this anytime after this episode comes out, the book is out, so you should go buy it immediately. And again, it's Bones of Ruin. But we'll talk about it later. Um, first, we're going to talk a little bit about Sailor Moon. And welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. Hey, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. And uh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Ever since I saw you, I think you described the FG series as like Pacific Rim meets Sailor Moon. And I was like, I yeah. need to read this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was definitely inspired by Sailor Moon big time. Nice. I can't wait to talk all about that. But first, question I like to ask every guest is, what's your first memory of watching Sailor Moon? Oh, man. Um, I remember watching Sailor Moon when I was 10 years old. And uh, I live in Canada, so the episodes were on YTV. If there are any Canadians, shout out to all the Canadians out there. You probably know what YTV is. Uh, I just remember thinking that, wow, this is crazy. Like, there are just girls who are superheroes. I hadn't really seen that at the time. And I was used to other kind of transforming heroes type stuff. Like, I hate to admit it, but I did watch Power Rangers <laughs> for a while. And, <laughs> you know, and I watched other stuff. And, but this was very different it was girls who could look fabulous and still kind of kick ass and they were kicking ass through magical means it wasn't necessarily like martial arts or anything like that even though obviously like sailor jupiter can you know actually kick butt using kung fu or whatever but um using those magical attacks and i was a kid that loved magic i still love magic and it's very much why I became a fantasy author, so seeing all these girls as this really cool girl gang, looking gorgeous, you know, hair always laid, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> outfits, always spectacular, using magic to fight other bad guys. It was just really cool, and especially how they just always had their each other's backs. I just love that. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, the show is so good. Also, it's really cool that you grew up watching it in Canada because the voice actors are from Canada. So I always feel like, I don't know, there's some kind of something there. <laughs> hey, don't uh, don't count out Canada. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Forever thankful for that. <laughs> I think um, Fifi Dobson was on the show, who's also Canadian. And she yes, was kind of talking yes, about Fifi's watching song. it. Yeah, watching it in Canada as well. I think it was also YTV, if I'm remembering correctly. So shout out to that channel, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as you were watching it, as you were 10 years old, do you have any favorite episodes or moments um, that you had? Or even now, like I don't know if you've had a chance to like, rewatch the show um, or any moments that stand out for you. I mean, the moments that I loved, one of the the strongest moments that stuck out to me from childhood was actually in the first arc um, when they were all in the finale, when they were all going to fight um, Queen Beryl. And I don't think this happened in the manga, but 
to actually have the sailor senshi die like one by one as they're trying to reach queen barrel and you you kind of see the strain and the sorrow and the fear on sailor moon's face as her friends are dying horribly now when i was watching it i don't think they actually went that far as to say that they were dead right i had to watch the japanese version subtitled in english to kind of get that okay like they're not being sent to the negaverse or whatever like they're actually dead they're actually like literally being killed off and when you see sort of sailor moon having to continue to reach queen barrel regardless of what she's just seen and you remember that she's just 14 years old i mean that really stuck out to me and then the final um battle against um queen barrel i always go back to this like i've watched the series in english the english dub and i've watched it um in the japanese the original japanese but i actually always go back to that fight um in english because the english version of the dub and this was like the 90s version has um i can't remember what her name like i think it was jennifer love hewitt who sang the song carry on while she was fight while sailor moon was fighting queen barrel by herself and it's just such a crazy moment not only is that song like completely badass it's just this rock song while this 14 year old girl is trying to save the planet against this like evil witch but just the fact that like they took that moment seriously and in the 90s oftentimes they didn't really get that anime could be serious even if it's meant for kids like oftentimes anime that's um targeted towards kids like Sailor Moon and Naruto and all of this stuff, One Piece, they don't take their kids for granted or they don't think that, you know, a youth audience can't handle things like death or the gravity of the situation. They take it seriously. But oftentimes the English dub would try to sand off the edges and try and like, you know, make things a little bit, you know, less serious. But this moment, I felt like they really, they not only allowed it to be the serious moment, but they actually, they, I think it was actually one of the first times that I saw the English dub version being better than the Japanese version, just because they added that rock song to it. And it just felt so like this penultimate battle between um, Usagi and Queen Beryl. Um, with the state like the stakes sky high and things like that and honestly I've been searching for that original version of carry on I can only find like covers on Spotify but <laughs> it was definitely that moment like sticks with me definitely yeah I completely agree I love carry on too I also think that um, I like it that song better than uh, the song that they replaced so in the uh new dub or on the japanese version um it's such a good song like yeah it just carries that like spirit also i think it was jennifer Sihi. um but she does look like jennifer love hewitt for <laughs> funny enough oh for some reason funny i always enough. thought it was jennifer love hewitt like people were joking about it and i was like what? maybe 
<laughs> but oh well. You know, I wouldn't put it past the 90s because there were a lot of things that happened in the 90s. Yeah, weird yeah. stuff. But but yeah, the song was Definitely, great. definitely. And it seems, yeah, there is, I just Googled it quickly and like there is some like Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sailor Moon songs overlap going on. I don't know if she did it or like people are saying it or if it was, I don't know. But it's a, uh, it's funny. But um, <laughs> the mystery. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, I always love that too. I didn't realize they died either when I was first watching it. I was just like, oh, they got captured or they, um, you know, are away. Neck first got them kidnapped or whatever. Um, until like the watching the Japanese version too. But even then, it was still kind of like I want to say scary because you see like Serena slash Usagi like, uh dealing with the fact that she's gonna really she's really has to do this alone which is not something she's really had to do as much before she i think she kind of got like used to like fighting alongside the other scouts slash senshi and now she's like oh man i gotta go like fight this person by myself like what like that's terrifying like says 14 year old girl and it's like facing off against like the big bad and yeah, that's that's scary. Yeah, I just love those kind mm-hmm. of moments in in shows where the main character really gets the, you know she's between a rock and a hard place, and she's really got to rise to the occasion. Yeah, and, and you see that. And one of the the moments of that battle was when the ghosts of the other senshi kind of help her, like at the very end, and they all kind of put their hands together. Uh, I was just like weeping. And that's why the song really works because it, it really happens at like a moment in that song where like there's a crescendo and I was like, oh my God, girl power. Totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. It just like captured everything and all the emotions that you wanted in that moment. And it just, it's so good. It's so good. That whole soundtrack is like really great. Um, We talked about a few different Sailor Scouts, but um, do you have a favorite? I love I love the attitude of Sailor Saturn and Sailor Mars. I like those stoic, the stoic senshi, I guess. So Sailor Neptune as well. And um it's weird with Sailor Mars is like she's so different in the the animated version um the 90s version. I think um Crystal the newer anime was more sort of her character personality in the manga but in the manga she's very like you know she's very much the I don't want to say stereotypical but she is sort of the traditional Miko uh, shrine maiden she's very like proper and um, stoic and serious and she reminds me actually a lot of um, Kikyo a little bit in Inuyasha and, and just that kind of character, which I love. I love those kind of characters. Um, so I could see that. You know, I've never thought of that before, but they do have a lot of similarities, not even just in the way they look, but even like their personalities are, yeah, like that, that, yeah, that's funny. I have to like think about that a little bit more because they, they are very, they can be serious, but also very just like, I don't want to say loud, but just like get it together. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I would say, like, they're very different. They have very different um, character tra- trajectories. Um, K- 
Kikyo obviously becomes like a bad guy. So she's like, and her story is, is tragic and a lot more serious and stuff like that. So, uh, whereas even the manga, I think their Sailor Mars was able to be like just a lot more. Ray, like Ray could have those cute moments, especially with Venus. I love her and Venus together. Um, but yeah, um, I do see some similarities there for whatever reason. So I definitely have to go back and like watch the original Inuyasha if I have like the time to watch 200 or something episodes. Yeah. But... It gets so harder as I've gotten older. <laughs> um, I know. But yeah, I can definitely see. I can even see. I mean, yeah. I know. But yeah, this is cool. Um, but yeah, so Sailor Saturn, Sailor Mars, and Sailor Neptune. Were those your three? Yeah, I liked. Oh no! Uh, sorry, I meant. Uh, ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like you really have like this stoic senshi going on. <laughs> they are really cool. They are all really. Oh, and I always ask for people who like Mars. I don't always ask this, but I've been trying to. Like, do you prefer? The Mars in the manga or the Mars in the anime? Yeah, definitely um, in the manga. I think they made her a little bit more boy crazy in the anime. But I do like in the anime, like, her her um, relationship with uh, Usagi in the anime was cute. You know, it's, you know, they had some really cute um, odd couple moments there. And... Um, I, I always just thought that in the anime, in the 90s anime, Ray's personality was a little too similar to Monaco's. I could see that. And, yeah, whereas their personalities were more distinct in the manga. I could definitely see that. But I do, like you said, kind of like the dynamic between Asagi and Ray. I think I think Odd Couple is such a good way to explain it, too, because they are like kind of at odds, not to make a pun, but also like there is some like love between them and like genuine like they have each other's backs at the end of the day but yeah oh yeah um i want to shift gears talk a little bit about you because you have a bunch of books which is super super cool um (laughs) so when well first when did you start writing and then um i guess we get into like the effigies and like how is it sailor moon meets pacific rim um i started writing probably when I was three years old so writing little stories and telling stories I was really inspired by stuff like anime and manga and you know video games uh, and pop culture in general visual media in general and I actually used to draw but I eventually went into um, into actually like writing and the Apogee series, I actually came up with the idea in 2012 when they announced Sailor Moon Crystal for the first time. And I remember when they announced that because everybody was like so excited to get a new Sailor Moon anime at the time. And I started to think to myself, you know, how badass would it be if we had, you know, a Sailor Moon type character or like the sailor senshi but everyone kind of knew who they were and they were you know famous and if you think about it i mean back then 
social media stars and things like that were already like a big deal. But now more than ever, I think in, in the year 2021, you really start to see lots of like social media influencers and, and not just the older ones, but even like young kids have their own YouTube now. You know what I mean? Like 13, 14, yeah. 15 year olds have like millions of followers. It's crazy. Um, on TikTok or YouTube or Instagram and, and various things like that. There's so many platforms for folks. So I think maybe now more than ever, the Effigy series kind of has this, it kind of resonates with the way society is right now because in the Effigy series, you have this Sailor Senshi like group of four girls with magical powers and they fight bad guys, these phantoms, um, which are basically monsters, right? Like kaiju, like monsters and instead of it being a thing where they can sort of put their costumes on and fight and then take their costumes off and go to school and live a normal life everybody knows who they are so there's no costume there's nothing to mask their identities they are celebrities as well as you know sailor century type warriors and they're young girls and that means they have a lot of scrutiny from the media it means that they have a lot of fans um each of the girls have their own like fan club so it's a little bit like pop fandoms now like k-pop for example um every k-pop group has their own fandom with their mm -hmm. own name and things like that and um you know I was just thinking like, okay, how difficult would it be to carry on your duties, especially knowing that your life is always in danger and then also be a celebrity and have to like um, carry out that sort of hyper scrutiny part of the job where you can make, you can do your, you know, try your hardest in trying to fight evil and still get raked over the coals you know, by fans online or by mainstream media, you know, cable news like CNN or something because of some perceived slight or whatever. So I just thought it was interesting to kind of look at it from that angle. So um, that's really kind of, I think for people who like Sailor Moon and you kind of wonder like, what would it be if Usagi and her friends were famous? You can definitely pick up uh, the Effigy series because it, it might be, you know, I, I had an interesting take on the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's such a cool take because you're right. Like, I feel like for so many heroes, like you look at Spider-Man and he is, you know, or Sailor Moon, like they're out here saving the world, but like not really, I wouldn't say reaping benefits because I mean, you're a hero, but um, yeah, just like. I, I could see how someone would become famous or like, you know, it, it's kind of hard to see Spider-Man like struggling to pay his bills when he saves the world every, you know, every week. <laughs> and so I think that's such a cool concept. And especially because like in this day, like, I think you're right. Like it would be hard to be like this super famous person, but not have anyone know who you are. Especially like if you're a superhero and for them to like capitalize on that and, you know, become influencers or YouTubers or just to have like a lot of followers because they're really popular. 
Um, like I said, K-pop stars, you know, the beehive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's such a cool concept. So, like, tell me about, like, the effigies. Like, what what are the characters? What are they doing? I like the names also. Like, the so it's a trilogy, right? Where's, okay. I was like, I don't know if there's a fourth book coming, but okay. Um, so Fate of Flames, Siege of Shadows, and Legacy of Light. Like, all of those names, I'm just like, oh my god, this is so dope. <laughs> And you have a Maya, I believe, main character, and other FGs, and a character named Saul, who seems a little mysterious and interesting. Um, but yeah, well, tell me, uh, what is the Effigies about? Well, the Effigies is about a girl named Maya, and she used to just be a regular fan, a regular fangirl of the Effigies. She really admired their strength, and, you know... There are four effigies always sort of alive at the same time. And that corresponds to the elements. So there's an effigy of fire, water, wind, and earth. It's very Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. And just a little bit like Buffy as well, where when one dies, another girl kind of has to take their place. And we don't really discover where the effigies came from or why there's this succession between the different effigies when one dies, another one sort of takes on their not only their power, but the spirit of the girl sort of rests inside of the new effigy. So why does that happen? We don't really figure that out until this you know the second and the third books so it's very much a mystery like where do the phantoms come from as well but what we do know is that there are these four girls who are the effigies and the fire effigy before maya dies and so maya becomes the next fire effigy and she kind of becomes indoctrinated into this whole sort of organization because the effigies kind of aren't allowed to move around on their own. They are governed by this governing body called the Sect, which is kind of this non-governmental organization, not beholden to any country, but an organization in and of themselves that sort of, they guide the effigies, they send the effigies out on missions, usually with backup with people like soldiers who have trained to fight phantoms so if you're an effigy you don't have to go into battle alone but there's also a lot of red tape and you're very much controlled by the set and in the effigy series after maya becomes the effigy the fire effigy she realizes that there's this um terrorist that can control the phantoms this terrorist named saul no one has ever appeared before that can control the phantoms. Usually the phantoms are just like forces of nature. They attack when they want to attack, like Godzilla. But here is this terrorist, this young, handsome guy, who seems to have the power to control the phantoms. So a lot of the story is about um, the girls, first of all, Maya, sort of training herself to become an effigy, to become a soldier, and to be able to fight the phantoms and her having to come together with the other effigies that she's never met before. She's only ever, 
you know, seeing them on the internet and on, on TV. So she becomes like a group with the other three effigies and they come together to try to take down Saul. But there's this larger mystery of who is Saul? Why is he able to control phantoms? And where did the effigies even come from and the phantoms even come from? So those are the overarching um, mysteries that kind of get, you know, the, the questions that eventually have to be answered by the end of the trilogy. Oh, man, this is very interesting. <laughs> I like read it the synopsis early before but hearing you break it down like that i'm just like i need to get on this i've been slacking on all of my my reading and it just sounds so amazing <laughs> which makes me even more excited because you have another book coming out and i'm just like man this is just keeps hitting it um and so i mean just gave a really great explanation for what effigies um <laughs> can you tell me also what books of or bones of ruin is about yeah, so The Bones of Ruin is my latest book that releases September 7th, 2021 on a Tuesday. So I'm very excited. It's the first book in a new trilogy. Now, the Effigy series takes place in kind of uh, an alternate version of, you know, today's world in today's time. So it's kind of like, I don't give an exact date, but you can kind of think of it as like it's happening in the world of today just with obvious changes like there are giant monsters everywhere um the bones of ruin is actually an alternate history historical so we're going back to the past with this one it's 19th century london is the setting so if people like victorian england like sherlock holmes um Cassandra Clare's um, Clockwork Angel series and, you know, a lot of steampunk takes place in 19th century. Um, hopefully this will be up your alley as well. So in this story of the Bones of Ruin, you have a girl, an African tightrope dancer who does not remember who she is. She doesn't know, you know, where she came from. But she does know one thing, and that is that she can't die for whatever reason. Um, she can heal from injuries, from very severe injuries, and she can't actually die. Or she dies, but she she never stays dead. She always comes back to life. So this girl who's in the circus desperately wants to know who she is. And then she starts to realize that there are other people in London that have these weird supernatural powers just like her. And there's this secret society, you know, Victorian England and Victoria, Victorian era Europe had all of their sort mm -hmm. of skull and bones, uh, secret societies. And so I have my own in this series as well, uh, called the, uh, the Enlightenment Committee. And there's a handsome young man named Adam Temple who recruits, um, the main character, Iris, who doesn't know who she is and promises her, you know, he seems to know who she is. So he promises her, I'll tell you who you are, but you have to do something for me first. And that is she has to fight under his banner 
um, in this Tournament of Freaks. Now, what is the Tournament of Freaks? The Enlightenment Committee knows that the world is ending. They've done their research. You know, they've looked at all the ancient ruins and scrolls, and they know that the world is ending soon. So they have decided to compete amongst themselves in terms of who will be the leader of the new world, who will be allowed to rule society after the end. They have an escape plan. They know um, how to kind of escape this world into a new one. So, so um, I don't know. I think, does that, does any of that make sense so far? Yeah, definitely. I'm just like, I feel like you have me at Victorian London um, secret society, uh, black woman tightrope dancer who's immortal. I was just like, check, check, check. I like all of those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, t- to not go, to not ramble on and on and on, usually what happens is um, because the world is ending and of course there's going to be a world after, right? Some, you mm-hmm. know, the ruins of the world and the Enlightenment Committee believes that they're the only ones who have the resources, the wealth, the intellect, uh, and are worthy enough to sort of gather humanity after the apocalypse. But who among them will be the leader? They're deciding that through a tournament. Each of the Enlightenment Committee members will have their own team of supernatural quote-unquote freaks who will basically fight in a tournament to the death. And Adam is trying to recruit Iris to sort of be his champion on his team. The problem is that Iris might not want to know who she really is. And we'll have to leave it at that. Okay. So, Well, once again, I am sold. <laughs> Especially when <laughs> Iris may not know, want to know who she is. Like I want to know who she is, but <laughs> it's like, ah. Uh... I love it. That sounds so good. So, so good. Um, I also mentioned that you also have two standalone novels, um, but we won't have to get into that. If you want to check those out, though, you can definitely check those out to anyone listening. Um, Yeah. Oh, man. That sounds fascinating. Um, Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see, too, like how Sailor Moon influenced Effigies, even though it's like its own story. But just like having like kind of like magical girls um, and superheroes, women superheroes. Um, and yeah, it's just it just sounds really exciting, like all around. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. If anybody wants any more information, they can always go to my website, Um, That's S-A-R-A-H-R-A-U-G-H-L-E-Y.com. Okay. And, you know, Sailor Moon, I mean, that was the quintessential magical girl story for me. Um, Although there are so many different, you know, kinds like, again, Inuyasha, Kagome, um, yeah, Fushigi Yugi's, Miyaka, and so on and so forth. But I was really sort of like bred on those kinds of shoujo manga anime that had magical girls just being awesome and being magical and fighting evil and falling in love and um saving the world so i i would say that i'm more as an as a writer i'm more influenced by 
manga like Sailor Moon than I am like other books. <laughs> Which is perfectly fine. I love it. Um, well, I guess we kind of spoke about like your other favorite anime, but um, what do we say is your favorite piece of anime merch that you own? This is going to be embarrassing. I don't know if this counts as anime, but I... <laughs> I remember buying a Sephiroth pillow. <laughs> love it. I love Sephiroth. Sephiroth. <laughs> Did you play, have you played the new Final Fantasy VII? Final Fantasy VII remake? I haven't. I've only played one Final Fantasy game and I can't remember which, I think it was nine, maybe. And I played Kingdom Hearts, of course. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Um, I love Kingdom Hearts as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy was is another huge um, inspiration for me as a writer and as a storyteller. And Final Fantasy VII, I mean, Final Fantasy VI to me is probably the best Final Fantasy, but Final Fantasy VII is probably the one that everyone is obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did have an opportunity to buy a Sephiroth pillow. So there you go. I love it. Also, not sure. I think I think that's definitely anime adjacent, if not anime. But I, I feel like that's... We'll say it's anime adjacent. Yeah. I, I think so. I think that works. Also, that sounds like he's hot. So, like, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Sephiroth, Cloud, and mm-hmm. Zack are, like, the the hotties, the Ikemen, I guess, of the of Final Fantasy VII. And, um, oh, I don't know if OSTs and, like, soundtracks count as anime merchandise, yeah. but... I remember I used to buy um, actual CDs <laughs> mm-hmm. of uh, like back when I was a kid, um, and I loved like just the soundtracks, like Naruto soundtrack and all that. Now you can pretty much get mostly anything you want on Spotify, except a lot of those songs, like a lot of the Japanese songs, were not on Spotify until recently. Because Japan is very, like, you know, when it comes to the music industry, it's very um, strict with copyright, we'll say. Um, But, yeah, it's really nice to be able to, like, go on Spotify or YouTube or any one of those um, apps and just listen to your favorite songs, like your favorite openings and endings and stuff like that. So, yeah, completely agree. I still have two, two Sailor Moon CDs as well that I treasure because like you said, it's hard to find them online through Spotify or other places. So I think definitely counts. Also, iCloud is also really hot. Um, and I always loved it because his character is voiced by um, Jason from General Hospital, Steve Burton. So every time like my mom would be watching General Hospital, I'm like, that's Cloud. And he's kind of hot too, honestly. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was obsessed with Cloud. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed when we first played that game. And uh, if you watch the remake, it's I'm like, oh, good lord. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Square Enix to just make incredibly beautiful people. Honestly. You know, I really need to um get on my Final Fantasy game. I feel like I missed the boat and i really just need to go back and play it uh, especially with the remake out. i mean i think they keep releasing stuff mm-hmm. like they released the ps5 version i don't know who has a ps5 <laughs> i don't know anyone with a ps5 uh, but they have that and they have um a dlc um, extra content with yuffie who's like the little ninja girl mm-hmm. um of the group 
and everybody was freaking out and and yeah I like listening to the Japanese version of anything Final Fantasy related just because I love um, Takahiro Sakurai who's the Japanese seiyu of Cloud and he's just amazing like he seems to be in all of my favorite anime for whatever reason so there is a reason I mean something something he does is right for sure oh that's <laughs> cool that sounds really 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 cool um I'm looking for oh I think it was Final Fantasy 10 that I played I'm like looking at the covers but it's been a oh, really long yeah, time yeah I just yeah looking at the covers and I think that's it yeah that looks familiar it was a really long time ago <laughs> And I did have Final Fantasy VII, but I never played it because I like just me and my brothers like shared video games, so it was like in the house. Never played, but <laughs> but yeah, Cloud though, Cloud for sure. I'm with you there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, if you're so, if Maya and Iris were Sailor Scouts, who would they be? Maya, I think Maya. <sighs> I feel like Maya would be like Chibiusa. That's hilarious. <laughs> she annoys people. <laughs> Okay. She just okay. annoys people so much for whatever reason. Um, no offense to the Chibiusa stands. I mean, <laughs> all three of you. Not wrong <laughs> when it's true. <laughs> um, you know, I would say for Iris, that's a really good question. I kind of feel like she's Sailor V. She's like, I feel like she's, if Sailor V were given her own, like, her own manga like I know she kind of came before Sailor Moon and I mean like Sailor V before she became Sailor Venus like when she was still in the drafts as Sailor V the leader of her the main character of her own comic for whatever reason I feel like Iris would be that character oh that would be really cool so like Sailor Venus before she gets her powers is that what you're before she becomes like Sailor Venus or just like early days of her being Sailor Venus? The the idea of Sailor V that uh, Naoko had oh. before she had the idea of to create the group. Sailor Moon, the Sailor Moon manga. I see. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know okay. if that makes sense. but I think it does. Yeah. Because you're right. She did have like a idea for Sailor V and then I think I forgot what made her decide to like make it a group instead of just Sailor V or so yeah I think that makes a lot of sense um then what advice do you have for someone who wants to publish their own young adult fantasy novels um the advice that I have is definitely read a lot read a lot even if you're inspired by different kinds of stuff like I'm inspired by manga and um, video games and things like that but the craft of writing you definitely should read a lot of books to see how other people do their thing um, and also take classes read crafts craft books always kind of see if you can improve on your craft um, ha because having a great idea is one thing but being able to execute that idea takes an entirely different set of skills so always just try and 
improve upon your writing and see what you can do to like craft words together to structure the story how do you structure the story how do you give people those moments like the one i described at the very beginning of this podcast like when sailor moon was by herself um having to fight queen barrel it didn't just happen out of nowhere right like it was there was there were a series of events and a crescendo that led up to that and that was able to give that um really amazing moment and that cathartic cathartic win so read books on how to tell stories read books on how to write and read other people's books um obviously for fun but also just analyzing it and seeing like okay how do they tell their stories um and and yeah and one big thing i would say is always just write for yourself not everyone is going to like your books and not everyone is going to be interested in the stories you want to tell i remember when i first um started watching sailor moon and i was actually really embarrassed because a lot of my friends were like oh this is lame and this is this and that right um and then i started thinking to myself you know what who cares what they think just because they don't like Sailor Moon and my friends were clowning it all the time, does it mean I have to dislike it? And, you know, look at the series. There are a lot of people who still clown Sailor Moon or who don't consider it a good story. But there are also millions of people around the world who love the story. So this, just know that not everyone is going to love what you write. But that doesn't mean that what you write isn't you know worth reading and it doesn't mean that what you write isn't um amazing because you're gonna have some people out there that get your work and i think it's just important to reach those people so i hope what i said makes sense <laughs> and you're definitely you've been making you've been making a lot of sense okay. this whole podcast <laughs> and i think yeah absolutely like i think it's so important like so like writing for yourself because you know, even if, you know, the book is successful or not, like you have something that you can be proud of, something that you can enjoy. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, like with Sailor Moon, like Nyoko, I'm sure was like, I don't know who's going to like this, but then now it's like millions of fans all over the world. Um, also, like friends were lame. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we're not like Sailor Moon. You know, they, 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 did, they did really good yeah. anime and, you mm-hmm. know, but still it's like, yeah. Even a lot of anime fans, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, Sailor Moon, ooh, this not shoujo, uh, you know. And it's like, who cares what they think? There's millions of people who love this story. So, you know, even if there's five people that love your story, you know, isn't that amazing? Like, you wrote something, you submitted it, you got it out there, and there are five individuals on this planet who read it and love it. That is incredible. Yeah. I completely agree. And I love your advice too for like writers. Because that one thing I've heard before is like it's easy sometimes to write a scene, but like to earn that moment is like because someone, you know, they could have wrote that scene of her defeating Queen Barrel like the beginning, but the fact that you got to like know the characters and had like the character, you know, development and, you know, had emotion grew like an emotional attachment to the characters, and then that's what like made that last scene so powerful is um makes so much sense so much sense well, thank you for your advice it was great <laughs> and then just like sailor moon had her sailor moon says phrase at the end of every episode 
what would your face be? So Sailor Sarah says, which is like perfect alliteration. <laughs> we love alliteration in this house. Um, yes. Sailor Sarah says, believe in yourself always and always chase after your dreams. I love it and completely agree. Yes, 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 yes. No one else will believe in you. You believe in yourself. Uh, and then what's next for you and where can people find you? Um, what's next for me is finishing the second book of the Bones of Ruin trilogy and just continuing to write, continuing to write and try to improve my craft. And people can find me on Twitter at S underscore Raleigh. That's at S underscore R-A-U-G-H-L-E-Y. And I'm on Instagram under that same handle. And yeah, um, people can find me on my website. I'm sure if, if people just Google Sarah Raleigh, you'll find like, you'll find me somewhere. <laughs> Definitely. I, I did this. I did that earlier today and like a bunch of stuff came up. Um, and also like I'll drop links in the show notes for anyone of your website, your socials. So if anyone wants to follow, I'll also have a link to the book if you want to pre-order or order it. Um, again, it'll come out to, on September 7th. So if you're re- listening to this, when the episode drops, it's, it'll come out tomorrow. If you're listening to this anytime afterwards, it'll already be out. So, yeah, definitely check it out. If you're like me, I'm already, like, invested in all of these characters. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, once again, I'm Victoria L. Johnson, host of the Salem Fan Club podcast. And you can find me at Miss Old School. It's Old School with a K on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find the podcast at Mooney's Club on Twitter and Mooney's underscore club on Instagram. And we also have merch at Mooney'sClub.com. And you can also find me actually I'm on TikTok now at Sailor Victoria. And yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening, Mooney's. And thanks, Sarah, for coming on the show. Thanks, Victoria. Bye, Mooney's.